Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 53. I'm your host, Pavel Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Robert Watterson. Robert is the owner of Watterson Financial Solutions, a firm providing financial planning, accounting, compliance, insurance, asset protection, tax services to companies and governments throughout North America, Europe, and the Caribbean. With 38 years of experience as a forensic accountant, Robert founded the company in 1988 with a motto that proclaims its mission, advice with clarity and understanding. The firm is now responsible for all the accounting and compliance for corporations handling government audits and taxation issues. Having written for some of the rules that govern government accounting, Robert is skilled at the financial issues inherent to government agencies, corporations, and individuals, as well as reporting tax agencies. Robert's pursuit of new knowledge and skills has not waned over time. He returned to school several times and became a licensed financial advisor, insurance investment, a broker, a certified professional bookkeeper, and acquired a specialized blockchain degree. Working with a government blockchain association, he advises governments on blockchain and digital currency issues. Last year, he created a virtual automated bookkeeping system called Audit Ready Bookkeeping, which allows clients to store the cloud permanent record of receipts and bank statements by taking a picture of them. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a great introduction. Thank you very much. You have a lot of things <laughs> going on, so we'll dive into a lot of those topics. Super excited to have you on. Let's uh, jump right in. So tell me a little bit about your firm in your own words. So what do you do and who do you typically serve? What we do is we help reality is we help clients to find what their basis is, what they need to have and what they need to avoid. There are a lot of things out there that people do, but there are a lot of things that people forget to avoid having happen. And unfortunately, we deal with the state as well. And what happens after you pass away can be the most expensive time of your life, even though it's beyond your life. It's what you're leaving to your family to deal with. And many people don't realize the differences and how you can just make it very, very straightforward. As well, we take care of a lot of accounting and tax issues. When somebody has a problem with CRA, we help them get it straightened out so that they can move forward. It's a a lot like if you were to go through a bankruptcy, as soon as you go through a bankruptcy, everything is clear. When you hand your paperwork for CRA over to us, from that point on, you're all right again, and you can start to sleep at night. We handle very large audits that way. Excellent. So... Tell me a little bit about also why why does business exist? Like why does this work matter to you? You've been in business for for a long time, so so this is this is a really interesting question to ask. Usually, just to get a little bit more context for the listeners. Okay, so I started off my career in the military in uniform to get my training and everything, and to get a lot of on the job experience. The military used my background and my I guess the things that I could do to help me become and make me a forensic accountant and have me auditing foreign countries as well as just paperwork that's coming through and also criminal investigations inside the Department of National Defense and the federal government. So from there, I moved forward when it was time to move on from the military. I moved forward to private practice and started off mainly understanding business 
and working with individual businesses and the practice just grew from there. While I was still in the military, I had we had our first bookkeeper or sorry, income tax preparation firm. We worked with some of the major companies like Intuit to develop actual computerized taxation. We were doing computerized taxation before PCs were a household word. So we had uh, set computers up in the early 80s, like mid 80s. We were using computerization and CRA wasn't even ready for it. They, they just didn't understand why they were getting these typewritten reports instead of uh, handwritten reports back then. And we still had to mail them in. <laughs> even if it was a computerized return, we had to mail it into the government. So we were at the post office all the time getting paperwork and envelopes. And it was just a crazy time compared to what we do today. Well, you, st you started early, right? You started early on the digitization uh, path. So definitely. And we will talk a little bit more hopefully about blockchain as well, because that's, that's just kind of evident in your career. You're basically uh, a little bit early to different sort of areas. So so how did you make the leap? This is really interesting. So we're a forensic accountant working with the military and just auditing different uh, other countries as well. And how did you make the leap to become an advisor? Just how what was the kind of the trigger from, you know, just here is an accounting, there's a, you know, there's this financial advice area. So how did you kind of transition? How did you think about it? How did it happen? Well, a friend of mine once said that I need to learn something new every three years. And I understand, <laughs> after I look back, I understand what he's talking about. I was doing books and buying and selling companies and helping companies exist and create new companies out of old companies. And I needed more information. So I went to uh, learn how to become a financial advisor and completed my LLQP as an advisor and then went on and did IFIC and everything else to be licensed as a mutual fund advisor as well as a life licensed advisor. And that was just an area that I wanted to learn more about because I didn't understand it well enough to, in my mind. And I took about six weeks to do the entire two-year training and pass the exam for the federal government. It sounds like a short time to do a long-term exam, but I had years of experience as a forensic accountant already. By then, right. we worked with the creation of CSIS and the integration of the RCMP and the Department of National Defense into a public organization rather than a government organization, which became known as CSIS. So working with all of those different things made me want to know more. So I went back to school and got my LLQP and my mutual fund license and my life license and everything. And I started to work for a company for the first time in many, many years. And I was working as a consultant for a very large insurance company. And they had a rule where you couldn't start to teach other people until you'd been with the company 18 months. They bent that rule with me a little bit. I started teaching people after I'd been with the company for three months. By six months, they were paying me to teach people. So I realized then that I was pretty much grasping this whole process and what would make help help people move forward as a financial advisor as well as they had me teaching pretty much everybody in Brampton mutual funds and investment funds because nobody was doing it the center that I worked at wasn't handling any investments when I started with them 11 months later I was handling over 8 million 
assets under management myself. So it was a crazy time, very busy time teaching. Uh-huh. And I realized, well, I was, I've been teaching since I was in the military. And I realized how much teaching other people to grow and to understand how that really helped me and how I really enjoyed it. So I started doing a lot more different things. And after that, I scared the company completely, I think, because the insurance company I was working with had a track setting of a a certain point where advisors could get to. And the average advisor, actually the record was eight years and I did it in 19 months. So they were, I scared them a little bit as big business. They're always looking for, ah, what's going on? So (laughs) after they made that clear that they were a little nervous of me, I had moved on to other areas and expanded, restarted my accounting, my accounting business and remained a financial planner and advisor as well as life licensed. And we're still life licensed to today. We still sell. Well, we did insurance policies yesterday. And for a uh, forensic accounting firm, that's kind of unique, I think. It is absolutely unique. I mean, this story is really fascinating because, I mean, you, we, I mentioned the intro, financial planning, accounting, compliance, insurance, you know, tax services, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, blockchain. So, so this is really fascinating. So there's a lot of things to dig in here. So First of all, I mean, is there anything specific about your your military experience or or forensic accounting that helps you basically learn and acquire vast areas of knowledge very quickly? And so so you can actually, and so then you can actually utilize that and teach other people. Like, is there something that, you know, how does really forensic accounting experience help you to provide services to your clients right now? Is there anything special there? Is this military discipline? Is this, you know, something unique about how you learn? Like, this is really fascinating to me. Well, I think there's a little bit there that's a little special. One area that works is you had mentioned how, why do I learn quick? I'm not totally sure why I learn quick, but a lot of times when I was in the military, I had different projects assigned and you didn't get a second chance. You had to do it right the first time. And with investigating other countries as well as financial warfare, you don't necessarily get a second chance at surviving. Sometimes right. your life is on the line when you're doing the, the projects. And the military instilled a sense of professionalism and desire to pass on information. In the military, one of your jobs is always to make sure that other people could do your job. So if you were injured or fallen during your assignment, somebody else has to finish it. Otherwise, the assignment doesn't get finished and you're, you failed on your assignment. So we are always teaching each other different things. We're always learning. And I found that if you teach your client, speak with your client honestly and very upfront, forthcoming, and don't look in the military. One of the things that they taught us was never look for what's good for you. Look for what's good for the overall project you're working on. And if you're working with a client, that means the overall good for the client. So you don't, I never look to see if I go to see this client or I have this client come and see me, how much money will I make? I don't know. I don't care. I have made more money off of clients that I did free work for than clients that I went out to do very technical work for. Just one of the things I noticed in my practice when I was with a very large firm is that the other advisors, the most of them didn't want to give their time freely to clients. So if they had a client come forward who wasn't their client, but didn't have an advisor, their idea was, okay, pass it off to somebody else. I'm not going to make any money. Interesting. I don't care. 
in the uh, company I was working with, I did almost 100% of the death claims that came from policies that were orphaned policies. And people couldn't understand, well, why do you want to go and do a death claim? Well, first of all, I can go and I can talk to the people and I can help them to understand the process, the financial burden and successes that can come out of the situation they're in mm -hmm. and just have a very good relationship come out of it. And right. I went to see clients who were not my clients who just wanted to change a beneficiary. Mm -hmm. Why not? Change it, go to them, change the beneficiary, make yourself referable while you're there. And if you are referable, they will come back to you for work or they will have somebody come to you for work. They'll, re they'll refer you to a family member or a friend or somebody. But you're not doing it just for the referral. You do it to make sure that they understand the next stages that they have to go through. You also have to understand that they're going through a very tough time and right. that you want to help them through that mm -hmm. tough time. And if you do that without the thought of how much money will I make for the next hour's worth of work, you will actually, in the long run, very, very, very successful. I had a gentleman that I went to see because his father had passed away in Hong Kong, and he needed somebody to take care of his policy. His father's policy didn't have an advisor. So I went, I looked at the paperwork, I contacted him about some concerns I had with the way the paperwork was. He arranged for me to meet with his brother, his mother, and the family, and we got everything taken care of. Everybody back on the same page, everybody in, a, you know, an understanding mind. And then I took over his corporation's paperwork. Mm -hmm. It turns out he had factories on three continents. <laughs> and I took over all of the paperwork for his corporation, all of the insurance paperwork, all of the advisory, <laughs> and his family. Even his niece, after seeing what had happened at the house, came to me to get her insurance when she bought her first home. So you just do your best, be honest, and you will have clients for life. I've always heard when I was just starting out in the uh, financial services industry, that people kept saying to me, oh, well, at some point, clients will just come to you. They'll just right. appear. And we have actually seen that come two or threefold. We mm -hmm. have tracked back some of our referrals to fifth generation. <laughs> wow. So our, we've had a referral who referred us, who referred us, who referred And we're on the fifth family that they've referred or business. Mm -hmm. And we can't advertise anymore. We have to just handle our referrals. If we advertise, we don't have enough time to deal with our referrals and our regular clients. Right, you will have to scale that because we're part of the business. So that's fascinating because that's really addressed my next question. You know, I always ask successful advisors about, you know, how do you acquire clients? You know, what works for you? And it sounds like you just, you know, the client service, the way how you approach clients is basically, I mean, that turns into referrals and it turns into this constant stream of, of prospects that reach out to you. Now, I have a question about that because some other advisors would say, well, maybe there's not a lot of opportunities. So, and, and you were able to basically discover those niche opportunities and turn them into something that's, well, it's not, not just by itself, but it's just that the whole situation sort of opened up and, and there's some other opportunities for you to add value. Because really you're adding value and you're capturing a portion of that value. That's how you're, you're becoming successful. So, mm -hmm. but I mean, is there any other sort of filter that you apply when serving clients? Because you have, you have a lot of clients coming in to, to the door right now. And the question is, you know, you, you can't possibly even help all of them, right? So, I mean, you may need to turn some people away unless you 
you want to scale your practice. So, so do you apply any filtering mechanism or this is basically your calendar is really the answer to that, right? If you have time, you will try to help clients. If not, then, you know, they, they have to wait maybe sometimes, you know, weeks or months for you to become available to be able to work with them. Yes, <laughs> in a lot of ways. We have one client actually who we started working with last spring, just after tax season. And as it turned out, they were looking to, well, they had decided they were recruiting me to be part of their company, to help run their company, to help do everything for their company as virtual CFO. Mm -hmm. And they actually had to wait about six weeks for our initial meeting because we didn't have time to meet with them. They had been referred by several of our clients and we wanted to help them out as much as we could. We just didn't have the time to meet. So it took about six weeks for us to get together. And now they're our single largest client today. But can I drop everything and meet with a client? I don't, I can't do that because I don't know what a, whether a client is going to be a good client or not. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't prejudge. I can't prejudge. So if somebody calls and needs work, for example, this month, we had a client who was in a panic situation and they didn't know how serious their situation was. Mm -hmm. They were scared. Mm -hmm. We made an arrangement or Sandy worked miracles and got them in the next day to see us. And we helped them to understand everything that was happening. So the gentleman in the family had gone into work after working with the company for 30 some odd years. And they said, well, can you come into the office for a few minutes? He went in the office and they let him know that, you know, he's 73, they don't, he's not able to keep up, but they didn't tell him that. He wasn't able to keep up 100% with what was going on. So they were basically telling him he has to retire and here's what we're going to give you as a package. And he was driving a company vehicle and they said, well, can you give us back the keys for the vehicle and we'll get you a taxi ride home. At 73, that's pretty devastating for him. He wasn't expecting it. He wasn't ready for it. They were able to meet with us the very next day, and we looked over the offer that the company was giving him, which far, far exceeded the requirements. And then we went back to them and said, we also need an extra six months of medical. And they said, okay. (laughs) So we got that in there too. But they were able, they very much relaxed after being able to see how we can deal with the situation they're dealing with, how their future has not going to be that big a difference. And that it really was time for them to retire and take life a little easier. Mm-hmm. And just by going out of our way and making sure we were able to meet with him because they were upset, he thinks we're the greatest thing since life spread. And we just took over all of their investments and retirement plans just by saying, yes, okay, we'll meet. It was over half a million dollars of assets under management came in. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to also go back a little bit to the, the different areas in your business because you know, there's financial planning, there's uh, financial advising, accounting. So how do you remain focused with so many the sort of different areas, different disciplines? How do you remain focused and effective? Because there's, I imagine there's a lot of context switching, right? Accounting is, is different from financial planning. There's blockchain, which is very different. Right? There is you know, tax services, compliance, and bookkeeping. So how do you remain focused and effective at providing services to your clients? That I pretty well have to give the credit to the Department of National Defense. When you're in uniform, you have to be able to focus on whatever they throw at you, whenever they throw at you, even if it's four o'clock in the morning. I have actually been woken up out of bed at three in the morning and said, okay, get this, get your gear together. We're going overseas now. Some of the, this is back in the days when telephones were still on the wall. (laughs) 
<laughs> so th some of the guys in our barracks would head over to the phone to let people know they were going to be away, only to find out that the phones had been disconnected prior to them telling everybody to uh, scramble. So nobody in the world was to know what we were doing, where we were going, or anything. Not even us. We were not even told what we were doing. This was in Kingston in the middle of January, uh, February, I think. Yeah, near the end of February, actually. So we grabbed all of our winter gear. Here we were arriving in trucks in Trenton, Ontario, at the back of a large aircraft where you enter from the rear and go in and have a seat. And the, the stewardess is whatever you put in your pocket. <laughs> whatever you had with you is what you had to, for the flight. Yeah. And they said, okay, put all your gear down and then we'll have it loaded later. So we put all of our gear down and they closed the back of the aircraft. We're financially responsible for all of our gear. And there was thousands of dollars of gears per person sitting on the tarmac as the plane started to pull away. You know, every service guy on that plane, their heart just sunk a little bit. Like, uh, what am I going to do? Because believe it or not, it is very personal when you're in the military. You are responsible for your own gear. You're responsible for the upkeep of your gear. Every The military doesn't just give you stuff all the time. They actually never give you stuff. And the plane took off. When we landed, we were in a desert. And they had whole new gear sitting there for us. So the gear that we left Kingston with was no good for us where we landed. So we didn't take it with us. We left it on the tarmac and they picked it all up and delivered it back to our barracks. But if they had told us in Kingston what equipment to bring, that would have changed. That would have given us information that we couldn't have until the plane door was closed. Right. So through training, basically, you, you've learned the skills of, of really managing priorities really, really well and, and, and context yeah. really, really quickly. So you can really focus on what's the most important thing right now. Okay. And departmentalize everything. Everything has a department, a time and a place, and you yeah. deal with it as it comes. Excellent. So when you look at your business right now, and uh, I know it's maybe difficult to kind of get uh, anything uh, closer to exact figures, but just how much of your business is coming from, you know, accounting or compliance or audits or financial planning advising? Like, is there anything you can give us in terms of the context of, of your business right now? From taxation and auditing, we get about 70% of our business. Okay. About 30% comes from investments and insurance. Everything else, compliance and blockchain and everything else that we do is combined in there all over the place and we don't charge for it separately. Mm -hmm. It's having the tools to be able to do the job effectively. So we don't really know precisely how much we make off of each different item, but mm -hmm. we can see our, our gross sales growing exponentially. So we know that what we're doing is helping everything else. And this year, we, as you mentioned last summer, we invented or invented is a hard way to put it, but we developed a fully automated bookkeeping system mm -hmm. that we are now doing bookkeeping, which we have never done a large bookkeeping on a large scale before. That's going to fuel our accounting income as well as taxation and everything too. So it's hard to say for sure, but we do a lot. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is really interesting because there's a lot of services. Yeah, there is. We do a lot of little things. And like, if, for example, in compliance, we were offered a job or I was offered a job last year to go and work entirely 100% of the time for a virtual bank. We didn't like the feel of it. So we said, no, realistically, I didn't want to go and have an, a boss to start with. But they were, the income was going to be dramatic compared to what we're currently doing. And we would have been flying all over the world doing it. It just wasn't what we were into. 
Right. Well, you're in this you're in this great position that you have more business coming in, and and you can be very selective in terms of which is a come. So this is interesting. So so talk to me a little bit about blockchain. I mean, you mentioned the accounting service that you launched. I want to go back to it because this is really interesting as well. We'll come back to it in a second. But I know you've been involved in blockchain with blockchain for a while, and you've advised different governments even on their strategies. So so t- talk to us a little bit about the how you got to the blockchain, what interested you, and, and what's what's happening right now with with that side of, of the service. Well, I've always been interested in different types of investments and how they work. And the first introduction I had to blockchain was in reference to altcoins, digital currency, and Bitcoin itself. And I was looking at it. At the time that I first was looking at it, it wasn't what you'd call a legal tender. So corporations couldn't have Bitcoin or any other altcoin on their balance sheets. So large corporations who were getting involved in the different areas of blockchain couldn't actually put it on their balance sheet as an asset, but they could have it as research and development. In the September, actually, 2017, the G7 finance team passed a regulation making digital currency legal tender. So it made it its own asset class. So it's the same type of legal tender as a share in IBM or Canadian Tire or anything else is. So once they did that, they made it a very interesting proposition for large institutions. And although large institutions had been involved in blockchain and digital currencies for almost a decade at that point in time, they were now able to talk about it openly and put it on as actual asset rather than just research and development. Mm -hmm. And we have had the insurance companies, for example, have been involved in blockchain since 2008. Mm -hmm. Part of their blockchain, anytime you, you apply for life insurance, for example, you sign a waiver allowing the Medical Information Bureau, which was originally the Medical Information Blockchain, to access your information and to publicize it to the insurance company in code for the use only. So We have seen over the last 10 years, the requirement for medical visits, the requirement for nursing visits and testing decreasing dramatically, making insurance more comfortable to purchase. And that's all blockchain that's done that. So we've been, the insurance companies are able to save quite a bit of money, which they're always looking to do and underwriting. And the industry is becoming more competitive in Canada because of the advantages that are available that have been brought to the insurance through blockchain. So having the experience of blockchain and looking at how each individual coin work made me want to know what is the entire system. I don't like knowing a little bit about something. I like knowing a lot about what I'm going to do. And I can't advise people on anything that I don't know fully. So mm-hmm. like, even with uh, one type of investment that we were looking at last year, we spent 18 months in the investment, looking at it and everything before we even talked to a client about it. So mm-hmm. we're very thorough. And because of that, our clients can trust what we're saying. So I needed to learn. And I found out you could get a degree in blockchain. So just before tax season was starting, I went back to school. <laughs> And that's ambitious. It was. I was in one of the first blockchain degree courses in North America. And I was the first and still the only forensic accountant blockchain professional. And because of that, it gives me a bit of, I don't know, foresight and ability to understand differently. 
Because forensic accountants are completely different animals. We understand things totally different. Accountants are historians. Realistically, they deal with what has already happened. Mm -hmm. Whereas forensic accountants deal with what's happened, find out the secrets of what has happened in the past, as well as the future. We view what could happen with different types of investments or opportunities and things like that that the business can do. So we look, we can see where the numbers are going to go. With that, we could, I could see that blockchain had a huge future in finance. In fact, blockchain was developed to eliminate finance. Blockchain's worst enemy has always been big banks and government, government finance, right? That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> so what do, what do I do? I go in and bring big banks and government into blockchain. <laughs> the exact opposite to what it originally started out to do. But we've proven that the largest industry in blockchain is finance and medical. The medical, like people have no idea how much they've already been affected by blockchain. Not only couldn't they buy insurance, their investments are affected by blockchain. Their medical care has been dramatically affected by blockchain. We now have smart hospitals that are blockchain. And how the world becomes aware of different things, believe it or not, is really done through television nowadays. So if they want you to become comfortable with a type of technology, like if the government would like you to understand it better, if the um, it's a good information for the public, they'll start to put it into a lot of episodes of different TV shows. So now there are blockchain incubators, for example, that have heads up display on the incubator itself. You put a child onto the incubator bed, close it, and it will, without attaching any wires, it'll give you the heart rate, the oxygen rate, the blood pressure, everything of the child right there on the, the cover. And it's brand new. It's scary for some people, or it's scary for new parents. If you have a child in uh, NICU, and all of a sudden they're putting them on this machine that's doing everything for you and they're not connecting anything to the child. There's no IVs and everything else. You get It can be panicky. So now there are television shows that if you watch closely when they take a child out of in this drama of the child being born and ill or something, they'll put them into a blockchain incubator. So you can see it working ahead of time. So before you ever go near a hospital, you're watching it on TV. And they've been using that technique since about 1950 for different things, right? Including police. This is fascinating. This is, this is fascinating. So, I mean, I'm tempted to keep going because, you know, I like to learn a little bit more, but there's so many different areas here. So let's switch gears. Let's go back to the project that we launched, uh, I think, last year. I think that's just uh, the automated audit ready bookkeeping, um, as you called it. So. Right. Let's talk about for a second about that because I mean that looks looks like that was basically addressing some of the bottlenecks within your practice and identified a need for a system like that. Looks like there is a little bit of a blockchain technology there as well. Maybe is, yes. maybe isn't. But let's kind of talk a little bit about that. Okay. So what we've developed is called audit ready bookkeeping, and the reason we call it audit ready now. So when we were developing this, I talked to some other accountants and some other bookkeeping firms and everything. And the biggest concern they had is audit ready is a big statement. Mm -hmm. So the reason we are audit ready is we have taken technology that's available today and integrated it with some blockchain technology, as well as the current like, helped other, we're working actually with app companies and helping them develop better and using different apps 
that are online and in, in the cloud and using the cloud with the IA that's available to it to actually do the processing. So we've connected the dots to the point where you take a picture of a receipt and it is now part of your permanent bookkeeping system. So all of the all of the data that needs to be recorded is recorded. The receipt is retained in the cloud. It's retained under all the rules that Revenue Canada has put in place. So part of our compliance experience helped with that. And our blockchain experience helped with it to understand how to best do this so that literally payroll can be done in a matter of seconds and directly deposit it to your, to your uh, employee's bank account. And CRA is taken care of 100%, including WSAB. Everything is all taken care of by itself. So all you do, all of a client would need to do is literally take a picture of a document, any source document, and it can be recorded and stored permanently, as well as all of the information is combined onto your financial statements instantly. So we can have your financial statements ready anytime. If your documents are have all been entered into your system and CRA wants to see something, you can pull it up instantly. If they want a copy of it, you can email it to them directly from the receipt itself. So you look at the receipt and they say, yes, we want that receipt email. It's gone. They now have it. They receive it as a fax or as there's two ways that we can send it either by fax because CRA does not accept emails yet or by an electronic transmission. We can transmit electronically directly into your own account at CRA so that when we say audit ready, we mean that any question CRA could ask, we have the answer for ready to go. It doesn't mean that you're guaranteed never to be audited or anything like that. You're just ready if they do. With the increased, this came out actually, the reason we developed this last year is I work with, I've been working with a CPA here in our office and both of us had the same issue where first of all, CRA audits were getting very intense and clients weren't keeping the right documentation at their fingertips and they weren't doing bookkeeping. So how do we fix all three with one? We create a bookkeeping firm that keeps all of the documents at hand and we make it so that we have access to it for our clients. So we're providing the service. It's a different, it's a new stream of revenue, but it's an amazing completion for the client. And it's actually less expensive than the old fashioned or the standardization of bookkeeping. So it's a lot easier. And we found that if you get audited, your firm can be tied up for 18 to 24 months in the audit. And the whole time, CRA is asking more questions and more questions, and you are focusing more and more and more on that. So if you're focusing on a CRA audit, you're not focusing on growing your business. So this allows you to focus on your business and let us take care of all the numbers and everything else. And with our CRA experience, our audit experience, that helps us as well. That's fantastic. So that looks like a really neat and useful piece of technology and the value proposition is there as you well articulated. So I think what we are going to do is basically there's so many different aspects to what you do. We'll just link it up in the show notes. And if somebody is interested in just a, taking a closer look at what you're doing, and especially this uh, audit ready bookkeeping service, they can they can take a look at that. So so Bob, we, we've actually spent quite a bit of time covering different areas of the business. And <laughs> it's gone fast. <laughs> it's gone fast. Exactly. So 
and you've actually addressed a lot of questions I typically ask about you know, client acquisition service and some of the projects that you're working on right now. But as we are closer to wrapping up here, so let's focus on maybe some challenges. It looks like, and of course, you know, we can always look back and, and when the sort of the dots will connect just by looking backwards. But what was what were some of the biggest challenges for you in building your practice? And what was the difficult? What did you have to sort of persevere, go through, and what required a little more patience for you? The biggest part of growing the practice that was difficult was being comfortable with the level we were at. I always wanted to be at a, new, a higher level, a higher, and more of a level. And then when I left the insurance industry, because I was an in house advisor and consultant, I couldn't take any of my clients with me. So I had 700 clients that I had gained over four years that I could no longer service. That was the most frustrating part to be to walk away from clients that I had told I would help them forever. And understanding the rules and regulations of the Financial Services Commission, which has now been replaced with a new name and I can never keep track of it. But the, as an Ontario government organization, they change their name every few years, I guess. It's needed. But their regulations were that you couldn't stop servicing a client. So I never considered not being able to service a client. Mm -hmm. But the contract with the insurance company said you can't service a client, which is contrary to Ontario law. So it was very confusing and very challenging time for me to be able to comply with two different opposing regulations. Because of that, I've also made notes to some financial planning organizations that they should be looking at the rules that are taken into account when somebody leaves an in-house position because they are contrary to current law. And trying to rebuild from there, it took a year or so, and then try to figure out what is the best way to contact clients to get back in touch with and build a new client base. Realistically, we did a few different things and then referrals just took over. Our clients, people calling us for service because they remember us from before and people, we're just mm -hmm. growing and doing it independently as an in, as a broker rather than as an agent. That was the hardest part. Yeah, so I, I totally understand why this could be frustrating. And you know, and then you said that, well, it took us you know, about a year to rebuild everything. So I think a lot of people in the business would be very happy and very content with just you know, being able to rebuild it so quickly. I mean, a year, it's, it's not really a long time. So you've done this you know, very quickly, given all the experiences and, and your knowledge and everything else that you knew. So Bob, as we're wrapping up here, so this podcast is all about growing your practice. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Just one thing on how they can build and grow a better practice. The best thing that I, that I would recommend to any advisor trying to build their business is find out what the rules are around what affects your clients. If you're looking at insurance and finance, one of the things that you should really become familiar with is estate planning and the effects of an estate when the second person in the household passes away. So usually when the first person in a marital situation passes away, everything passes directly on to the second person. And because of that experience, everybody or most people think that, oh, that's going to happen when the next person passes away. But it is not the case. The case is that everything goes to the bank. If you all you're in anything that you don't have in insurance gets locked up in probate and there's tons and tons of things that happen and extreme expenses. And I would just say become familiar with that so that you can talk to your clients about it as well. Service your clients. Service is a lost art 
today. We were even at a large box store last night and I needed a certain type of cart and I was sent out in the parking lot to get it. What happened to service, right? So service your client, give them the information they need and don't worry about making money off of them. If you don't worry about making money off of every client, the client will worry about making sure you make money. That's a great way to put it. So, and a great piece of advice. So Bob, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, talk about blockchain, maybe your new service or anything else that you do, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you? Well, our website is watersonfinancial.com, Watterson with two Ts. And my email is robert at watersonfinancial.com. So if you just drop us an email, if you have any questions or if you'd like to see how something works or just talk to us about anything, Of course, we are a little busy now and then, as my wife would put it, we're a little busy always. <laughs> But if you send us an email or contact us in any way, we can talk about everything from accounting to audit-ready bookkeeping to blockchain, QuickBooks training, anything at all. Yeah, and I definitely can attest that, that because you have a lot of knowledge in many different areas. So, Bob, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm sure a lot of practical advice that a lot of listeners, I'm sure, can learn from. Thank you very much for inviting. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.